this evening, Luke chapter 10. I like having it still be light out. It's kind of nice. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord, uh, Miss Isabel, for that special Amazing Grace. There's just something about a teenager singing Amazing Grace that's just right. It's just, and I don't know if it means anything for me necessarily, but I'm just so thankful for every parent here that raises their kids for the Lord and that they're up here singing songs to the Lord, expressing talent that I could never dream of having, and it's just an exciting thing, and I appreciate it. Luke chapter 10, don't forget, if you got an email from me, we got a teachers and group leaders meeting um, right after choir or whatever we have right after service, five or so minutes in the conference room, Uh, that way I'll be real quick. But Luke chapter 10, start reading in verse 25. Very common portion of Scripture, and so you're probably very familiar with it. Um, The Bible says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is uh, written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, and leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him... He passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Uh, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said unto him, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, might as we gather here tonight and uh, seek to worship and pray and hear from your word, might we be just in recognition of who you are, your might and your glory and your authority and your power. Uh, might we realize as we come to your word that you get to decide what right is. You get to tell us how uh, we are to live. Uh, you've, you've purchased our our lives and our souls with your own blood, that we might be saved and have an eternity in heaven with you. And anything you ask of us beyond uh, just accepting that is, is a small thing. Might we approach you in this way, just in thankfulness for what you've done, with a desire to serve you in any way we can. God, we're thankful for the opportunity to even gather that we could bring our requests before you tonight, that we could gather around your word. Uh, We'd ask that you'd you'd speak to us this evening. We love you. We're thankful. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
last time, not uh, last week, we uh, were in the revival and we're thankful for that and, and hopefully you were revived from that and God worked in your heart. Uh, but the week before, of course, we, we spoke about loving your enemy and, and what it means to suffer loss so you can show the love and mercy of Jesus to others and, and talked a little bit about that uh, as we've been in our series titled Forget You. And so I love that title. I just want to say it every week. It's just exciting and fun to say. Um, but that's what we're talking about. And the forget you, what my kids were saying, it. they read the uh, sermon title as they were getting the uh, print out there that I had for them. And so they're looking at each other and they're going, forget you. No, forget you. And I'm going, I think, no, that's wrong. Nope, wrong idea. <laughs> so I said, you got to go say that in front of the mirror. That's the idea. That's the point. I didn't get it, but that's okay. I'll go home and preach it again. <laughs> but the story, of course, of the Good Samaritans, one probably here in a Wednesday night crowd, we all know, we're very familiar with, uh, we know about the Good Samaritan. I would say probably even most people that uh, maybe have never even come to a church know the story of the Good Samaritan, at least closely. And so you know, uh, uh, as you've heard multiple times, a lawyer comes and attempts to trip up Jesus in asking him, the secret to eternal life, which is kind of silly that a lawyer, a master of the law of Moses, whose profession was to study God's word, says, I'm going to trip this guy up and ask him a question nobody can answer. What's he, how do you get eternal life? I mean, can, can you imagine that's his, his profession is to know God's word and the most important thing, he had no clue. He thinks that's a trick question. You with me? And so he comes, and of course Jesus, as Jesus does often, turns the question back on him and says, well, what do you think? What do you say? You're the lawyer. You know uh, the law. You know God's word. What do you say it is? And he says, well, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and thy soul and thy might and thy mind. And the second is to love thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus goes, great answer. Do that if you can is the understanding there. Jesus just simply agrees with him. And the lawyer realizing immediately that he had not caught Jesus but himself. You with me? And he goes, oh, oh, all right. Well, but wait. <laughs> right? He's, he's got he's to come up with something here. And so he follows his own answer with a question about the definition of neighbor. That's, that's his route here. He's going to ask the definition of neighbor to find out if he is doing that. And of course, as you know, Jesus tells the story of a man robbed and beaten, left for dead, and was passed by by a priest and by a Levite who, who ignore him, walk on the other side of the road, finally helped by a Samaritan, which you understand was the enemy of the Jew, essentially, uh, and who went even as far as to pay for the man's uh, needs and a place for the man to heal up. And so Jesus tells this parable and then says, okay, who was the neighbor? Who was the one that loved? And the lawyer responds, well, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus responds, go and do thou likewise. And you think about this passage and you think about this lawyer and you think about who he was and where he was at. He's a man, as we understand it, whose profession was to know the law. Know God's word. That's what he did for a living. Uh, probably even more so than a modern day preacher 
would have to devote to studying God's word. That's what he did. And there was no information about God's word that had already been written that, that would have been news to him. You understand? There was no answer about what had already been written in God's word that Jesus was going to say that he was going to go, oh, I never heard that before. Okay. You with me? That's not at all where he was at. Uh, he knew exactly what it was. And so when Jesus turns the question on him and says, okay, you want to know how to get eternal life, what do you think? Oh, he, had, he knew. He knew what was required for perfection. He knew what all the law and the prophets hung on. And you understand, he understood exactly what he was to do. He understood exactly what the law said. Uh, he knew the law commanded to love thy neighbor. He says it. You, you, you with me? I don't know if, you're, if it's hitting you yet quite, the, the, the silliness of the man that would say uh, uh, to him, what should I do? And Jesus says, what do you think? Love my neighbor? I don't do that, though. Okay. Oh, guys shouldn't have said that. I mean, that's what's taking place. And he knew so clearly what God's word said about that. Uh, uh, that Leviticus 19.18 would say, don't bear a grudge against your people. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, he would even know all the parts of Deuteronomy in a Leviticus that would talk about taking in strangers and helping them. Would talk about the, the harvest and the, and the time that you would not uh, uh, trim every piece off of your harvest and, and the gleanings of it. That you'd allow the poor and the, and the needy to glean from your vineyards. I mean, that's a command in Leviticus not to take every grape so that the, you can feed and help. It, talking about strangers and those that you would be a blessing to. and uh, He would know where uh, so often in Proverbs it would talk about uh, giving pity to the poor or uh, uh, those that are in need or helping the destitute or, or loving your neighbor. I mean, all, he would know all of those and he would be able to recite all of those verses in detail. I mean, if you were to ask him, about a, he would be a living concordance and he would be able to give you all of what God said about how you could love this person, how you are to help the destitute and, and how you should take care of the sick and how you should, I mean, he would be able to give all of that to you. You with me? And yet, he knew he totally didn't do it. And that's kind of, I mean, he knows exactly where, it, where it's true. He knows exactly what's needed. And I think, you know, as God's people here, especially on a Wednesday night, our, our Wednesday night crowd, if we're going to talk about denying ourselves and loving others, if we're going to talk about how we are to care for and, and put others first and love others, we probably know all the verses. You with me? I mean, we could probably sit here and I could say, give me some verses on loving others. And we could probably get 40, 50 in this room of people that would just raise their hand and, and know them. Uh, 1 John 4, 7, where it says, Let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Even talking about whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion upon him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? We would know that verse. We'd probably get Galatians 2.10, talking about how we ought to remember and, and help the poor and care for each other. Uh, we would know 
Luke 6.38, Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. Shall men give into your bosom? For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. We might get Acts 20.35, where it says, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. We might get James 1.27 where it says pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. We might get Galatians 6.2 where it says bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We might as we heard here in a, in a missionary letter in Jude 1.22 and of some having compassion making a difference, others saved with fear pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. We might, I mean, we could probably get verse after verse after verse after verse of what God's Word says about giving the gospel and helping those that are in need and bearing the burdens of each other in church, about when you see those that are destitute and hurt, how we are to help them and care for them. I mean, we, could we not go all night with those kinds of verses? There's not one of us in here, probably, I would imagine, who would go, there's verses on, like, loving people? I don't, where? What? I have not seen them. Can, you got a concordance? I don't know where that would be in the Bible where it says to love, love people? No, that's totally not the message of God. You're way off. No, we'd all go, yeah, that's there. Yeah, in this verse, and in this verse. And yeah, I guess you're supposed to love, I mean, yeah, you're supposed to pray for the sick, and yeah, you're supposed to bear each other's burdens, and yeah, I guess you're supposed to share the gospel. I mean, we could go on and on about the expression of love that's uh, showcased in God's word. And we could, as the lawyer could have, continued on with all of these things. How the Bible speaks of and commands us to show kindness and to help the needy and to love the poor and the sick and the lonely, and to passionately proclaim the gospel to the lost. We know the Bible says those things. If you didn't before, you do now. <laughs> but this lawyer knew, we know, the world knows it really, and there's really no person that's ever so much as cracked a Bible that can claim that God is not actively caring for and, and about us loving the people around us. And yet still, even, even in the midst of a lawyer, and I would say often in my own life, I need Jesus to come and say, okay, here's what that looks like, though. I mean, that's what's taking place here. That this love means to do something. If you understand at the end of the parable, we know it, uh, he talks about these three men that, that were there and witnessed this man in need. The two passing by and the one that went out of his way to help. And, and Jesus' question, who is it that was the neighbor? Who is it that fulfilled the command? Who is it that loved his neighbor as himself? And I want you to notice that the lawyer did not argue at this point. You with me? He doesn't go, as maybe even many of us would, and go, well, who's to say? Who's to say who was really the loving person? You know, we don't, those two other guys, they could have been busy. They could have had their own things going. We don't know. Maybe they really did love him deeply. Maybe they prayed all night for him. You don't know. Who are you to judge? 
Maybe the guy that helped him, you know what? Maybe he was doing it for selfish gain. Who, the, the lawyer does not go there. You with me? He gets it. It's very, very clear. Uh, he doesn't argue this point. He says it's very obvious. There's no way around it. As a lawyer, he's going to argue everything he could. And he knew there was no argument to describe that it was even possible that the other two that passed by on the other side of the road were the loving ones. There was no argument for that. You with me here tonight? The only thing to conclude that it was exactly and only the Samaritan that went down to help that was neighbor. Even this lawyer knew better than to try to irrationally argue that those that do nothing are the lovers, the loving ones. And we as believers... I think we probably should know better than to argue the definition of love with God. I don't know about you, but I, that's me, constantly. Where God says, no, listen, love looks like this. 1 John, and we just read it, where he says, let us, uh, little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. He says, if you have this world's good and you see your brother have need and shutteth up your bowels of compassion upon him, how dwelleth the love of God in you? That's not the love of God. And once again, tonight we could go verse after verse and go to 1 Corinthians and we could talk about uh, so often throughout the word of God that, that God reveals to us that love is action. And we would be, we would be silly tonight to argue with God on the definition of love. It'd be silly of us to go where God says the neighbor is the one that got down and helped. We would be silly to go, well, I don't know, God. Sometimes love doesn't do anything. Sometimes love is a fuzzy feeling. I love people all the time and I don't do anything for them. See, God, come on. We'd be silly. Not even the lawyer went there. Even the lawyer was like, yeah, no, the, the person that loved was the person that did. That's the person that loved, because that's what love looks like. That's the definition. It's black and white. It is no love without action. But this lawyer, this person, he comes, and his desire, as we understand, was to justify and excuse himself. He, he backs himself into a corner with his explanation of what was necessary, and says we ought to love God supremely with everything we have. We ought to love our neighbor as ourselves. And he knew right there immediately he was in trouble. And when Jesus presses that, why don't you do that? He goes, okay, oh. Okay, but he says willing to justify himself. Willing to excuse himself. Willing to try to make himself appear righteous when he knew he had not been. He tries to prove it. He tries to escape it. He tries to escape the condemnation that he even brought upon himself by declaring God's word. And says, but who is my neighbor? I mean, he, he wanted to prove that he really had done righteously. Not that he actually wanted to do anything different, but he was looking for a way to narrow down who it was he was supposed to show love to in order to declare himself good. No doubt, as the, as the lawyer's mulling these things over in his mind in these few seconds as he deals with Jesus, 
No doubt he's going, okay, love your neighbors yourself. Yeah, I love my mom and my dad and my brothers and my friends, and I love the other Pharisees and the rich, and I, I love those people, but I don't love everybody. There's a whole lot of people I don't love. And so immediately, right in that moment, he's going, okay, but whoa, 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 whoa. Who's my neighbor? Because if my neighbor is only this limited amount of people, I'm good. I'm clear. He says, if my neighbor's only these people, and I, and I really only have to show love to the people I like, then I'm good going forward. I'm on the right track. And this is man's go-to move, if you understand. Man's go-to move is to find every excuse, every justification. Uh, and this, this sermon tonight is not about this part of it, but even the whole point of what Jesus is getting at with this man is to show that he had not been perfect, to show he really was in need, that he really did not possess eternal life, that was the whole point. But our default is so often, justify excuse. No, I'm good, and here's why I can continue to do what I'm doing and be fine. And that's where he's at. Oh, we can find every reason in the book why we don't have to do anything. Uh, I've heard every reason in the book why we don't have to do anything about the lost, why we don't have to help the hurting and broken people we pass by every day. Uh, I've, I've heard it all. I've heard every excuse is why we don't have to help those that are hurting or poor or sick. I've heard people say, we can't help those people because we're so focused on the gospel. And then you go, well, are you spreading the gospel? Uh, witnessing doesn't work anymore. And you go, oh, okay. So we're really doing nothing. <laughs> I mean, I've heard every excuse. We talk about how we don't share the gospel because witnessing doesn't work anymore. But then we don't have time to do anything else. We justify ourselves that we're too busy or we've got our own problems. We justify it and say we're really, we really do love people in our hearts. But so often the reality is we pass by those in need every day. And what's taken place in Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells a parable about two men who were a lot like the lawyer. Who would see somebody in need, half dead, and would walk by the other side. And up to this moment, we don't know where the lawyer went from here on, but up until this moment, that was not a problem to him. He was justified in his mind. To him, he had done right. And can I tell you, us as Christians, we easily do the same thing. We so easily have every reason why it's totally fine that we pass by those half-dead spiritually and do nothing about it. And we've got a reason why that's fine. Oh, we've got work, and I've got my own problems, and I've got a family, and i got this, and i got that. We see people in need that are hurting in church and in need of prayer, and, I, and we, we got every reason. I need prayer, too. i got my own problems. I'm busy. We see those that walk into church, and they're just looking for something real, some kind of love, a God that maybe really exists. And we go, I've had a rough day. I, I want to go home. I don't have time to deal with them. And we justify it. We pass right on by the other side, and we've got no problem, just like the Lord. We've got no issue. We've got some justification. There's the poor and the sick and the needy and the widow and the childless. and I mean, we could list off those that we pass by every day that need a little bit of love of Jesus Christ they need the gospel, that they might be saved. And we can so easily, 
I don't know if maybe I'm the only one, but we can so easily walk right on by the other side, and we've got a reason why that's fine. And so this man, willing to justify himself, had not an attitude of willing to recognize humbly where he had fallen short, which if you understand was really the point of Jesus' discussion with him. The point was not to justify himself. The point was not that maybe if he could just do all these things, he could attain eternal life. That wasn't the point at all. But his heart was, I'm going to justify himself. I mean, he knew he hadn't loved people, which made him guilty and unworthy of eternal life. But he's got to justify himself. And he missed the right response to what God was trying to teach him at this moment. The right response of what God directs us to is always to humble ourselves to it. For him here, and maybe, I don't know, for maybe some of us here, it's it's to admit our need for a Savior. But it might be further than that and just admit that he's right and we're not and change. Can I tell you what? There's, There's no benefit when you approach God's word to try to justify yourself. You get nowhere there. There's, there is, you, you never gain anything spiritually by when you approach God's word and you realize it conflicts with this, that you go, yeah, but. You get nowhere there. That's this lawyer. Yeah, but who's my neighbor? God says, preach the gospel to every creature. Yeah, but what if they don't want to have it at the door or somewhere at work or in the grocery store or anywhere where people are? You with me? God says, you ought to love the poor and you ought to have compassion on them. And, and the, he says, pure religion is to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. And we go, yeah, but that's like then. That's a, it's a verse out of time. What does that even mean today? When God says, you ought to bear each other's burdens. Yeah, but we're way busier now. Come on. Yeah, but you ought to exhort one another daily because you care for each other and you love each other. Yeah, but I got to binge watch Game of Thrones. I don't, come on. You with me? We, we have all the justifications, but it never gets us anywhere. The response we ought to have is, if you understand Jesus' point to him, is not you're going to be perfect if you do. The point is you're not perfect. And our response ought to be, Lord, here I am. I'm not right. You're right. I'm wrong. Because the reality is there's, there's going to be no excuses when we stand before God. Now, if you need salvation, I'm telling you, there's, there's not going to be any excuses when you stand before God as to what you ought to have done, or why it was okay that you didn't, or, or why your sin worked out. Nothing's going to work there. It's all going to be laid bare, and it's going to be exposed. But even for us believers that so often justify ourselves passing by the other side of those in need so often, can I tell you, there's going to be no excuses when we stand before him. When he says, man, I put somebody in your life that needed the gospel and you didn't have time for him, can I tell you, there's not going to be any words at that moment that are going to sound right. When he says, man, there were sick and needy and poor and helpless people around you that if you could have just seen them, God, I could have used you to give them not just help but eternal life. 
through your testimony. Can I tell you, I was busy is not going to work then. It's not going to sound great. Well, I, got, I had to work overtime because I, it's not going to sound great anymore there. Matthew 25, Jesus talks about this and, and even labors in the point in an elongated passage in Matthew 25, we won't read the whole portion, but he, he talks about those that are going to come before him and some are going to be rejected and some are going to be accepted. And he says, here's what's going to happen. He says in Matthew 25, 35, he says, there's going to be those that come to me and I'm going I'm to be pleased with them. He says, for I was hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. I hope you heard the specifics there. He says, Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or saw thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, in so as much as you have done it unto the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. He says, That's what... It's going to be revealed up there exactly what's taken place. He's going to talk to even those that are rejected. He says, For I was hungered and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you took me not in naked and you clothed me not. Sick and in prison and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when, 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 when did any of this happen? And he says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it not unto me. Can I tell you what? I don't know where you're at here, but I feel like in my life, for me, I feel like there's going to be a whole lot of people that I pass right on by where Jesus is going to say, I needed something there. And I'm going to go, what? Who? What are you talking about? And I don't know if there's going to be a movie screen there or he's going to maybe have some hologram memory. I don't know how it's going to work. But if he showcases it there, it's going to look a lot different than all of the times I justified it here. It's going to have a little different perspective. And he's going to say, what you didn't do there, that was something you didn't do for me. Or what you did do, you did do for me. And I don't want to belabor the point, but Jesus is, is teaching here in, in the story of the Good Samaritan, not just about the lawyer's inadequacy to attain eternal life on his own, but about what love looks like, about what this idea of, of Jesus' example. And if we were to go through, as we've already belabored in weeks past, that Jesus' example to us was that he denied himself in order to serve us. He voluntarily became a servant washed feet, healed the sick, had nowhere to lay his head, invested in others, wept for the lost, preached the gospel to them, even suffered the death of the cross. And he says, I do this. He says, so much of this was an example that you might live likewise. We saw this so often, and he shows this is what love looks like when you do, when you're there. Not what you feel in your heart, but what you do. And I want to ask this here. 
The point's clear. We know the passage. Nothing's new. I just want to ask it this way, though. Are we satisfied tonight with how much we love? As we read about the story of the Good Samaritan, are we satisfied tonight believing that we're the Samaritan and not the Levite and not the priest? Are we really doing all we can? I mean, this Samaritan, he went out of his way. He not only bound up his needs, he not only took him where he needed to go, he paid for him, uh, made a sacrifice. As God reveals, that's what love looks like. Are we content to say we're doing all we can? As we look at those hurting and poor and lonely in our community that would love anything real if somebody would just show it to them. Take five minutes and help them and share the gospel with them. Are we content we're doing all we can? We talk about those that are suffering even among us in the community. We talk about the fatherless, the widows, those suffering loss, those that are sick and suffering and praying for those. Are we content we're doing all we can for them? We talk about bearing the burdens of our brothers and sisters in the Lord in this building. Are we content as we look around tonight that we're, we're doing all we can to bear each other's burdens? We talk about spreading the gospel to those chained in sin that are hanging over hell by a thread. Do we go to sleep every night going, I'm doing all I can for the sake of the gospel? That's it. That's all I could do. I've done everything I can. Are we good there? We're bombarded daily by those that are in need of a Savior. When those that are in need to so many other things, the homeless and the depressed and the physically and mentally ill, those trapped in drug addictions, those chained in sexual sins that leave them miserable, are we satisfied? We're doing all we can for the sake of the gospel. Last year, 20,000 people moved into Snohomish County about. Are we content with how many of them we told the gospel to? I, I, maybe this is all for me, because I kind of feel that way as I just study it. Just God is just hitting me, because I don't feel good about those answers for me. I just don't. I don't, I don't feel good about how much. Now, I'm busy. Don't get me wrong. Every day I, I meet with people and I try to share their burdens and I, I try to pray and seek God's face for the needs and hurts of people. Twice a week I get the opportunity to preach and, and try to encourage God's people. And Weekly I'm handing out tracts and inviting people to church and, and trying to give a little bit of the gospel where I get the chance. But every time I come to God's word I'm convicted more of my own selfishness and lack of love and care for those around me. Can I tell you, every time I come to God's word throughout the New Testament, I, I've not yet come to it and gone, oh wow, I'm, I'm way too great. I'm like way too giving. What, I only have to share the gospel that much? I've done way too much. I've never come to God's word and God says, man, you ought to care and love for people and go, well, I've done that too much. 
yeah, i got to tone it back a little. I've not had it. Every time I come, I go, when I look at Jesus' example and the love that he had for people and the effort that he put forth in trying to love and care, not just that he would be able to give them the gospel, but like he actually cared where they were at. We don't have time to take all of that tonight and look at all of that, but if you look, he's, I mean, he's weeping for people he's going to raise from the dead. I don't know if that's, isn't that weird? He's waiting so somebody can die so he can raise him from the dead to showcase himself. And he comes and he loves those women so much that because they're crying, he cries. That's how much he loves them. He let him die on purpose so he could raise him from the dead. He's there to raise him from the dead. The guy's going to be dead for five more minutes. He sees them crying and he's touched with the compassion for them. It's not a cold, lifeless, hey, take the gospel or nothing, or I don't care what you do in life. It's not a, I, if you starve to death today, I couldn't care less, but do you want this track? That's not what Jesus was about. And every time I come to God's word, I'm struck with the idea that I'm nowhere near Jesus. Forgetting ourselves, taking up our crosses and following him, is about being willing to see where we've fallen short. Where we've ignored and passed by on the other side of the road instead of helping others. It's being willing to admit how little effort we've really given to sharing eternal life with others. It's being willing to admit that our lives are not like the example he gave us. Can I tell you this, and we'll be done Every day you and I pass by people half dead. Every day. And use whatever definition you want to use. Go drive up Highway 99. You're going to see people physically half dead on the side of the road. You walk by every day, you're going to rub shoulders with people spiritually that are this close to being it. Every day. We pass by those that are in such need, physically and spiritually, every day. And can I tell you what? At least my testimony, I'm not speaking for you, it's not a condemnation on you. This is me. I pass by more often than I stop and help. It's just where I'm at. And I'm tired of being the priest and the Levite. I'm tired of being the one that says I'm spiritual when in a given week, who have I really stopped to help? I don't want to be one that shows up to church and I haven't even so much as handed out a track all week. And I go, priest, Levi, I'm good. Justified. To forget us, to take up our cross, to follow him, to follow the example of Jesus is to reject this me-first culture and to live like Jesus showed us how to live. But that means not passing by anymore. It means stopping. And if you're going to stop, it means time. It means money. It means energy. It means a whole lot of things that we're so often not willing to give. But we can't pass by and then later justify ourselves. It's not going to work in heaven. We pass by people every day that are half dead. I don't know about you, but me, 
I want to be the Samaritan. Stand to our feet this evening. Bow our heads. Heavenly Father.